a famous Harvard professor known for his expertise in the art of problem solving was hired by a large national transportation company. His task was to teach their drivers how to recognize those factors that led to driving accidents and ultimately how to avoid them. At one such seminar in Atlanta, Georgia, he posed the following problem. You're coming down a steep mountain grade with a full tractor load of product when you discover your vehicle has no brakes. On one side, you have a sheer drop of 200 feet. The other side, oncoming traffic. And straight ahead, a busy intersection. What should you do? There were no volunteers to the question. So therefore, he chose an individual in the class and said, Sir, what would you do? He said, Well, first thing I'd do is wake up Billy Bob. He said, Well, who's Billy Bob? said, Billy Bob, he's my relief driver, and he's sleeping in the camper. He said, excellent. Class, did you hear what he do? The first thing he had to do is seek help. He said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not seeking help, because I don't think Billy Bob's going to be able to help me. He said, well, then why would you wake him up? He goes, well, sir, Billy Bob, he's from a small town in South Carolina. And frankly, to be honest, I don't think he's ever seen an accident like the one we're about to have. Speaking of famous last words, the phrase is more than just a cliché. You know, when notable men and women of influence are about to die, the world wants and waits to hear their final words of insight and wisdom. Then those quotes are then repeated worldwide. This is also true of a dying loved one. I have on several occasions been present as family members gathered straining to hear every whispered syllable of blessing, encouragement, and advice, knowing that these will be the final words or the final message from one that they love. You know, facing one's impending death as a way of providing clarity regarding what's really important in life. In fact, it was uh, Solomon who tells us, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, and the mind of the fool is in the house of pleasure. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, says, what God shouts to you and I in our ple- what God whispers to you and I in our pleasure, he shouts to us in our pain. You know, one of the most knowledgeable, influential, and beloved men of history is the Apostle Paul. And today we'll begin a series that will focus on his famous last words as they're recorded in his second letter written to his disciple and beloved son in the faith, Timothy. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1 where we find Paul imparting to Timothy and all who love the Lord and his word some deathbed wisdom. In fact, he shares with him in this particular opening verses four virtues that are needed to finish strong. Four virtues needed to finish strong. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 1, we read these famous last words of the Apostle Paul to his disciple Timothy. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. In order to better understand this letter, some background is in order. The Apostle Paul was facing death. He was not dying of a disease in some sterile hospital environment with loved ones gathered nearby. He wasn't in hospice care in his home. He was very much alive, but his condition was terminal. He was convicted as a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul lay in a cold, dark, dampened prison. In fact, he was in the most infamous prison of all time, the Mamertine prison in the city of Rome. His conditions since the last time that you and I studied from 1 Timothy have changed drastically. 
For in 1 Timothy, he was under house arrest, and he had the freedom to have people come and go, and he was well taken care of. And he continued to uh, share the gospel with those who were chained by his side night and day. In fact, to the church in Philippi, he wrote that, I'm sure that many of you have heard of my circumstances as to how the, the progress of the gospel was seen by the circumstances that I find myself in, because I was not hindered in any way of sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though I was imprisoned. You know, it's been said that, you know, basically life is 5% what happens to us and 95% how we respond to it. And I agree, there's much that we can learn from the Apostle Paul because he saw his circumstances always as an opportunity to further the gospel and the kingdom of God. For he saw that God was in control of all things. God's hand was upon him. And the circumstances that he found himself on a regular basis, he knew that he wouldn't be in those circumstances unless it was God's ordained plan. Because where he found himself was not a result of the discipline of God because of sin in his life. He found himself where God wanted him for the further of the gospel and to do the will of God. And that's important for each one of us to understand and identify. We need to ask ourselves some tough questions in life. Sometimes the question has to be asked, and that is this, why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing today? Is the result of sin in my life and the consequences that come as a result, as a result of God's disciplining me because of my disobedience to him. If that is the case, I'm to confess my sin, agree with him that I'm wrong, repent, turn from it, and turn back to God. And we know that God is faithful and he will, he will forgive us as we confess our sins and he will wipe it far from us. And yet at the same time, we may ask ourselves, no, it's not a result of sin in my life. It's not a result of God's discipline. It's not a result of God's judgment, so to speak, for the, or the consequence of my behavior. Then James gives us beautiful instruction. He says, then consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, because you know that those trials are a test of your faith, and they'll produce endurance. And endurance will have its perfect result, that you will be complete, mature, men of God, women of God, who are lacking in nothing. And you know what? Those are only to the two circumstances that we'll ever find ourselves in life, when we examine the things that are happening around us. You know, am I guilty of sin? No. Then praise God. Because he has me exactly where he wants me for his purposes and for his kingdom. You know, as we look at this particular situation, though Paul is in the Mamertine prison, he recognizes and understands that there is still a work for him to do, though he knew that he would be soon executed. And so he wrote his final thoughts to his son, his beloved son in the faith, Timothy passing to him the torch of leadership, passing on to him and reminding him of what was truly important in life, those important things, and encouraging him in the faith. So in this letter, Paul tells him what is essential if he, like Paul, was to finish strong. Turn with me a couple of chapters ahead in chapter 4, and we'll see the concluding words, but we are working to this as a crescendo, so to speak, where the Apostle Paul says in verse 6, he goes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, meaning his blood would be spilled, he would soon be martyred, he would soon be executed, for he says, And the time of my departure has come. And the word that he's using as departure means to go from one place to the next. And that's important for us to understand. For the Christian life, when we die, it is no longer the, it's no longer, uh, our existence is no longer the case. It has to do with our destination. For when we go from one place, we go to another. He is departing as if he is preparing for a trip. He's saying, I'm going somewhere. I'm leaving here to go there. And so those who teach such things as, you know, when we die, there's nothing else. There's nothing left. You know, we, we, we're not, no longer in existence. What they call it is, is annihilation. You don't remember where you were before you're born. Therefore, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? The word of God is very clear. We are all in the process of going from here to somewhere else. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But he says, the time of my departure has come. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. And I have kept the faith. You know, Paul was wrongly imprisoned. He was thrown in prison because Nero had almost burned down the city of Rome. And he needed to find scapegoats to blame this particular atrocity. So he chose those who were Christians, those who were identified as followers of Jesus of Nazareth, the risen Savior. And so they rounded him up and they threw him in prison and they blamed the Christians for burning down the city of Rome. And we know that that is not accurate. History records that it was Nero himself who did it, but he had to have somebody to blame it on and he chose to blame it on Christians. And so there is a, there is a huge change of circumstances from what had taken place prior two years earlier to what is happening 
here now in the life of the Apostle Paul. And we need to all be aware of that and we need to be sensitive to that because our circumstances can change abruptly. We have the freedom today in our country to be able to speak out on behalf of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there may come a time, and it may not even be that long in the future, where our circumstances can change abruptly. And that's why the encouragement that Paul gives to Timothy and all of us is this. God has not given us, as he says, a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear but of power and love and discipline. And what he's saying to him and saying to us, and we'll get to this, is, you know what? We need to be diligent to do what God has called us to do, and that is to boldly proclaim him who was crucified on our behalf. But as we go through this, we see that in this introductory section, Paul identifies for us four virtues that characterize his life and should be equally true of Timothy and all God's people who are committed to finishing strong. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I have kept the faith. I finished the course. You know, you know, I did what God has called me to do. And if you and I want to finish the same way, then we must identify the character traits or attributes or virtues in the life of the Apostle Paul and make sure that they're true of our life as well. And as a result, the Word of God promises us that you and I will be overcomers, those who finish strong and run with endurance the race that's set before us. So as we look at this, what are the four virtues um, that are identified through this? The first one we find is, is found as a, we notice Paul's realization of God's will. Paul's realization of God's will in the first verse. Going back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. In this, Paul identifies for us his humility as it comes with recognizing and understanding who is in charge. If you and I are to finish strong, we must recognize and understand who is in charge. Paul had a clear understanding of that. His understanding was very simple. He calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've mentioned before, and I'll mention again as it relates to this, but Paul always identified Jesus Christ with the title Christ Jesus because he never knew Jesus Christ the man. He only knew Jesus Christ, the resurrected and ascended Lord, Savior of all. When he met him on the road to Damascus, he met him as the glorified Savior, not as the man, Jesus Christ. And you'll notice it is unique to Paul as he writes, inspired by the Spirit of God, to identify Jesus Christ as Christ Jesus, the ascended Savior, risen, glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father. And so he recognizes very clearly who's in charge. He knew who was the boss. He knew to whom he answered and reported. And if you and I are to finish strong, if you and I are to finish the course, if you and I are to fight the good fight, if you and I are to keep the faith, we must be always mindful of this truth and this truth alone, and that is this. There is only one God, and we're not him. There's only one God, and we're not him. Paul understood that, that Christ Jesus, the ascended Savior, is God, the eternal God. And he is God, and Paul was not. We must always be mindful to the fact that there is only one God, and we're not him. And our purpose in being saved by our Savior is to serve him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, talking about a subject of immorality, he says that, you know what? We have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. Therefore, because of Christ's death on our behalf, because he has shed his blood for you and I who have come to faith in him, he says, therefore, because of the price that he has paid, now glorify him in your earthly body. In Matthew chapter 5, talking about salt and light, Jesus said, as those around us see our good works, they will glorify our Father who is in heaven. As they see you and I do things that are so out of character with the world that we live in, they look and they're in awe of what we do and how we conduct ourselves and what we say and how we act, how we behave, and, and, and uh, how we interact with one another. They're just blown away by it to where God gets all the glory. And that's important to recognize and understand. You know, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God. That is why you and I are here. The great Apostle Paul never got caught up in his own press clippings. He never thought more highly of himself as to affect sound judgment. He never thought more, highly of him, thought more highly of himself than what the Word of God told him about himself. 
In fact, on many occasions, he called himself a prisoner of Christ or a slave of his Lord. This submission to Christ was reflected in Paul's obedience to God's commands. As Paul was submissive, placed himself under the the authority of Christ Jesus, the fact that he placed himself under his authority was reflected or carried out in his obedience to God. We cannot be subject to something without being obedient to something. It It goes hand in hand. You cannot be submissive and then be disobedient. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If we put ourselves under his authority, which he's in authority anyway, so the bottom line is every person is under the authority of God, whether we are submissive to him or not, has to do with whether or not we're rebellious or that we're obedient. And so when we look at this, it's important to understand, and it raises an important question as I, I was going through this myself, and that question is this, who do you serve today? It was as if God was saying, Chuck, who do you serve today? Do you serve me or do you serve yourself? Do you seek my will and the decisions of your life and the direction of your life? Or do you look to me to rubber stamp or validate what it is that you want to do? How do you proceed in life? See, Paul sought and did the will of God. Turn back to the book of Galatians, a few books back. As Paul talks, in this particular case, identifies the struggle that some have as far as whose will do we do? You know, that was the question that was asked in the book of Joshua, chapter 24. You know, there was a turning point, there was a crossroad. And I'm I'm, I'm going to kind of bring this to, to a crossroad today in each one of our lives. And the crossroad is this. Today you are being challenged to make a decision. You are at a crossroad. I am at a crossroad as we're confronted by the truth of the word of God. And the crossroad is this. From this day forward, who do you live to serve? Yourself or your Savior? It's a choice that we have to make. Joshua said, as to what the rest of these folks do, you know, that's up to them and, and it's between them and God. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. See, we all come to crossroads, and those crossroads are daily, aren't they, in the decisions that we have to make. And the question is, is it God's will that will be done or my desires that I'll fulfill? Lord, which direction do I go from here? And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul identifies for us this transition or this crossroad in his life. And he says this, For I, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor I was taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life. When someone says, you have heard of me, he's talking about his reputation. What people have heard of us. For you have heard of my reputation. You have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But, and see, here's the contrast. And you can read Philippians chapter 3 sometime because he says the same thing to the church at Philippi. He says, but when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourself, it's a gift from God that no one would boast, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He says, he was pleased to reveal his son in me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by my faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. He says that he revealed himself through me. And here's the purpose, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And then it it goes on to tell us that because of this transformation from Saul of Tarsus to who we know as the Apostle Paul, says they were glorifying God because of this radical transformation. Paul was born again in a moment in time in verse 15. It says there was a change of direction, there was a change of heart. Before he was dead to God, alive to sin. Before he lived to please himself. Before he set his own plans, his own desires, his own goals. And and he went extremely zealous to accomplish this to-do list that he had in his life. 
these goals that he had had in his life. Many of us have been there and understand that. Our goal was to make a million dollars by the time we're 30. Our goal was to get married. Our goal was to have children. Our goal was to do this. Our goal was to do that. Our goal was to move from one end of the country to the other. We all had goals and we all have plans and we all have desires. And I say we need to have them because if you have no goals, you'll reach it every time. And the reality of it is this, that we need to have goals, but those goals have to be tempered with the will of God. Lord, this is our goal, but is it your goal? This is our desire, but is it your desire? Because you know what? Now, being born again, I am alive to God and dead to sin. And I realize that, you know what? I have been saved by God to serve you. Not my will be done, but yours. The Apostle Paul in this radical transformation as he's born again said, you know what? Everything that I thought was important in life, I considered as rubbish for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, who was crucified and raised up. He said to know the power of his resurrection, to know the will of God in my life, to know God's plan for my life, there is nothing more important to me than that. God, reveal your will to me and how I am here to serve you. I am at your command. Amen. So, you know, I, I'm troubled by how oftentimes I've heard the gospel presented to people. Even when I first heard it the first time myself, it was presented in such a way that frankly violates what the Bible teaches. And that's this. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, excuse me, sir, excuse me, ma'am. Do you have a minute? I'd like to tell you that God has a wonderful plan for your life. No, he doesn't. He does not. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, ma'am. Do you know that you are going to be held accountable for your sin by God and that the plan of God for you, if you continue in rebellion against God, is that you will go to hell separated from God for all eternity. Now, I don't know where you're from, but that doesn't sound like a wonderful plan to me. Because that is not the plan of God. God has a wonderful plan for your life? No, he doesn't. The bottom line, it reminds me of this cartoon. You know, it's amazing, the theology that you find in some of the strangest places... But, and I never read the comics. I'm going through it, and I find this comic, Dennis the Menace. Dennis the Menace is sitting, obviously, in timeout, talking to his dog in the corner of his room. And he says to, to him, one little fib, and she forgets all the hundreds of times I've told the truth. It's like, what's wrong with her? I don't get it. And you know, but we, you know, the reason that this is in the comic section of the paper is because it's funny. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. But you know what? I run into people every day, and so do you, who have the same theology as Dennis the Menace. Who was God to send me to hell? Doesn't he realize I do more good things than bad? He should grade on a curve. But remember what we've already discovered. He's God. We're not. He's got a plan. And his plan is, you do it my way, or these are the consequences. See, God doesn't have a wonderful plan for sinners. He's got a plan for sinners, but the plan is to continue to execute the judgment that had already taken place when we were originally condemned when Adam chose to rebel against God and sin entered the world through him. For through Adam, sin entered the world, and we are all guilty because, you know what? For the hundreds of times we may do good, there are those times where we do bad. And so as a result of being sinners, and that's what it's all about, none of us are perfect, no, not one. None of us are righteous, no, not one. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, every one of us have. And therefore, God's plan for rebellious man is to execute the final judgment that took place when we were condemned before God when sin entered into the world. Spiritual death is eternal separation from God. God does not have a wonderful plan for sinners. And we need to confront people with that truth because until you understand the bad news, there is no need for good news. Until you understand that you are a sinner on the road to hell, you don't need to cry out to be saved and throw yourself upon the mercy of God at the, thro at the foot of the, the cross of Jesus Christ and believe that he died for your sins and that he rose again. The good news of the gospel is this, that somehow or another God has got to, as justice is concerned, 
A price has got to be paid for sin. And either you and I will pay it ourselves, or we'll accept the fact that God tells us that Jesus Christ paid our debt in full upon the cross for those who believe in him and the power of his resurrection, we are born again. Saul of Tarsus was born again because he recognized before God his sinfulness. He threw himself upon the mercy of God, trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sin, the power of his resurrection. He knew that he was alive, that he was raised from the dead, and he threw himself at his feet and said as if it were, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Once born again, the excitement at that point is is that, you know what? God does have a wonderful plan for those who are born again. And God's plan for those of us who are born again, those of us who have recognized our sinfulness and turned and repented from sin and trusted in Christ and responded by faith to the finished work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection, God has a wonderful plan for us. And you know what that plan is? To serve Him. To serve Him and to glorify Him forever. Once we are born again, it is not God's will that we sit, soak, and sour. It is God's will that we serve Him. You know, in 2 Timothy, if you go back, if you remember in 1 Timothy, we learned that while we wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great hope of every believer, the great expectation that is there for all of us who have come to faith in Christ, we're to flee from certain things. We're to free, flee from sin. We're to flee from all those things that God says are a part of those, the lifestyle of those who are dead to God and alive to sin. That were true of our nature before we came to the cross and trusted in Christ. We're to flee from that former lifestyle. We're to lay that former lifestyle aside. If, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. We're to flee from sin and we're to follow a life of righteousness. Righteousness and godliness and love and peace and hope and all the things that are laid out in Scripture. It is an active life. The Christian life is an active life. It is not a passive one. We don't just sit around watching other people like we do at a ball game where we go and we watch other people entertain us with their activity. No, the, we're all to be active. We're all to be serving Him. We're all to be using the gifts that God has given us for His glory and for His purposes, for the building up of the kingdom of God. None of us should ever sit around and watch somebody else actively serving their Savior. We're all to be involved. And you know, and this is the deathbed wisdom that Timothy shares, that, that, that Timothy has been shared with from the Apostle Paul. You know what? We need to be active in our faith. But you know what? It requires humility. It requires humility to lay aside our plans to lay aside our goals, to lay aside our desires and to ask God, what is it that you want of me? What is it that you want of me? 2 Timothy 3 verses, if you turn to 2 Timothy and look ahead at chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Many of us know this, we've memorized this, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? Why do we get in the Word of God? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We're to be busy doing the things that God has called us to do. Ephesians, go back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Many of us have memorized that. You know, for it's by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. But we stop there, but we need to keep going. Because it says, for we are his masterpiece, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why have we been saved? You know, we present the gospel. Do you want to go to heaven? Then you need to believe this. And it's all about us. It's always about us. But that's not the gospel. Why do you want to be saved? Because I don't want to go to hell. Why do you want to throw yourself upon the mercy of God? Because you know what? I'd rather have somebody else pay the price for my sin than me. And that's okay. But we're not just saved so that we can go to heaven and enjoy God forever. We are saved from sin and condemnation and wrath and judgment of God. For the purpose all through scripture that we may do the works that God has prepared for you and I to do. Before the foundation of the world. So that we will walk in according to them, so that we'll live our life according to God's will, God's plan, God's direction. And you know what? And that requires humility, doesn't it? It's very humbling 
to have someone else tell you what to do. And that's exactly what God chooses to do. That is God's plan for all of his people. Self-denial. If any of you want to follow me, Jesus said, then deny yourself and pick up your cross daily and then follow me. Picking up our cross daily and following him. God doesn't follow us. We follow him, and following him requires humility. Consider the following quotes regarding humility. The only hope of a decreasing self is an increasing Christ. John the Baptist, one of the greatest men, Jesus said, that ever existed among men, prayed a very simple prayer that is a prayer of my heart on a regular basis, and that is this. He, as Jesus came towards him, he must increase, and I must decrease. The only hope of a decreasing self is an increasing Christ. So then, as I am not united to God, I am divided within myself in a perpetual strife within myself. Now, this union with God can only be secured by love, and the subjection or submission to Him can only be grounded in humility. And the humility can only be the result of knowing and believing the truth. That is to say, having the right notions of God and myself. Having the right idea of God and myself. He's God, I'm not. He's the boss, I'm subordinate. He's in charge, I take his commands. He tells me what to do and I obey him. Very simple. Very simple. Out of his wisdom, Robert Morrison of China wrote the following, the great fault I think in our mission is that no one likes to be second. The world has yet to see what could happen if everyone lost the desire to get the glory. Wouldn't it be a marvelous place if nobody cared? Who got the credit? You know, I, I just, it just wouldn't be me if I didn't think of a sports illustration at this point. Because that's how God teaches me some great truths. But I look at a team like the Angels this year and I realize that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a group of men who have an understanding. And the understanding is this. President Reagan used to have a sign that was on his desk. And I saw it when we were there taking a tour many years ago. And the sign said this. There's no telling how far a man can get. Or how much he can accomplish if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. Isn't that great? I mean, that's biblical. That's sound theology. That is consider others, Philippians 2, more important than yourself. Have this attitude of putting others first. This attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Who though he existed in the form of God did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And you know what his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, did? He did the will of the Father. He didn't grasp onto his throne in heaven and say, I'm not going, send someone else. He did the will of God. The will of the Father. He prayed in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but you know what? Not my will be done, but yours. Humility. If I appear to be great in their eyes, the Lord is most graciously helping me to see how absolutely nothing I am without him and helping me to keep little in my own eyes. He does use me, but I'm so concerned that he uses me, that he uses me, and that it is not of me the work is done. The axe cannot boast of the trees it has cut down. It could do nothing but for the woodsman. He made it. He sharpened it. He used it. The moment he throws it aside, it becomes only old iron. Oh, that I may never lose sight of this. The spiritual leader of today is in all probability one who yesterday expressed his humility by working gladly and faithfully in second place. If you're humble... You don't write the book on how humble you are with 12 life-sized photos in it. I like that. Jonathan Edwards said, The best protection one can have from the devil and his schemes is a humble heart. What is it God requires of man? That we do justly and we love mercy and we walk humbly with our God. You know, the circumstances of life that many of us, you know, we wish weren't happening, I have become convinced of this in my life that those are the things that God uses to keep me walking humbly with Him. Just when you think you don't need God and you're doing fine on your own, something happens that drops you back to your knees. Because there is no better place to be as a believer 
than within the shadow of the presence of God, walking humbly with Him. If you want to finish strong, you need to develop a character trait, a virtue of humility and and exercise it every day. Because you and I will not finish strong because God has not changed. He is a God who is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-7. through 7. A second virtue that is identified for us is found in Paul's relationship. We find it in Paul's relationship with people. His relationship with people. Notice in verse 2, back at 2 Timothy once again, 2 Timothy verse 2 of chapter 1, he says, To Timothy, my beloved son, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This, re- this verse reveals to us another essential needed to finish strong, and that is the virtue of loyalty. The virtue of loyalty. Notice he calls him my beloved son. How did this loyalty, this quality, work itself out in the life of Paul and his relationship with Timothy? You know, think about it for a second. Paul, by saying he's my beloved son, my son in the faith, he recognized something of his relationship with Timothy that was very special, and that is this. In Acts chapter 16, we learned that Paul was instrumental in Timothy's placing his faith in Christ and encouraging him to go all out for the Lord. As a result, Paul never lost his sense of responsibility for Timothy as his child in the faith. If you've ever led anyone to Jesus Christ, to faith in Christ, if you've ever had the privilege to do that, then you would know exactly what's going on here because Paul is concerned for Timothy after he is gone. He's concerned. Loyalty comes out of a heart of love for people. This afternoon, if it's God's will, at 4 o'clock, I'll be meeting with a family of a young woman in her early 40s who is dying of cancer. She has two children. She's a single mom, and I'll be meeting with all of them, including the family and whoever else that they invite. And the purpose of all of it is, is that she senses a tremendous responsibility. She's been given two to four weeks to live, and we want to get together as quickly as possible while she's still lucid and while she still has a comprehension of what's going on before the pain, pain medication takes its effect. Because she has a burden for her family. She has a burden for her children. She wants to impart to them something that they can take with them the rest of their days as it's appointed for, by, by God for all to die once and then comes judgment. She's accepted and recognized that she has fought the good fight, but now she's at the end and she's kept the faith. She knows Jesus Christ is her Savior. There was a point in time where she acknowledged her sin before God and she threw herself upon the mercy of Christ at the cross and she was born again. But, but there are members of her family who are not. And she has a burden for them. She has a love for them. Paul had a love for Timothy. And it's expressed at the end of his life, you know, sometimes at the end of all of it, that's all that matters is love. You know, love, God's love never fails. What do you say at a time like that? I love you. What do you say back? I love you too. What, what else could be said? And it's important that the gospel is explained in such a way that sinfulness is, is, is acknowledged. Rather than if you ever want to see your mom again, you've got to pray this prayer. Well, you know what? That's not the gospel. If you want to go to heaven, pray this prayer. That's not the gospel. There's no good news until we re- recognize the bad news. The good news is, is that God has chosen to pay the price for our sins. The bad news is that we are sinners separated from God on the way to hell. The good news is, is that God loved us anyway. And even when in our rebellion, he sent Christ to die for us. The good news is, is that you and I don't have to go to hell. The good news is, is that we can trust in Christ and his death and his resurrection for our forgiveness. That's great news. My beloved son, I'm concerned for you when I am gone. I mean, that loyalty that, you know what, he never forgot his responsibility to, the, to that man who he was instrumental in leading to faith in Christ and in encouraging him in his walk for the Lord. The third thing that we see is Paul's responses towards Timothy are reflected in verses 3 through 5, and there we see the virtue of dependability. You know, that, that Timothy could depend upon Paul. You know, I look at that and I begin to ask the question. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. Are you dependable? Can people depend upon you? 
If you say something, do you do what you promise to do? Is your yes, yes, and your no, no? Are you dependable? Are you faithful to those around you? Are you faithful to your God and to your Savior? Paul's response towards Timothy shows great dependability in his life and ministry. In these opening words, he says, you know what? Hey, you know what, Timothy? You can depend on me to do three things. Number one, you can depend on me to be committed to pray for you. To be committed to pray for you. Are you committed to pray for those around you, your family, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, those who do not know Christ, those who do know Christ? Are you committed to be a person of prayer? He says, listen, he goes, I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. He lived out what he wrote to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. There are many times, I, you know what, I, I need to pray more, and I'm convicted about that. There are many times I'll be out for a run, and God will put somebody on my heart, and I'll begin to pray for them. And, and, I, and a lot of times, I don't even know what's going on. But Lord, you give me a ver- burden for these people. I want to pray and commit them to you. I don't know what's going on in your life. You do, but you command us to pray. And in submission to your authority and your command, your command is to pray without ceasing, and I'll pray. I don't always understand how God answers prayer, but I know this, that you and I as children of God can boldly approach the throne of grace. We have access to God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, continually. It is a great privilege that those who do not know Christ do not have. And we do. He was committed to pray for him. He was concerned to see him, longing to see you. I want to see you, I want to be with you, I want to encourage you, I want to build you up. Notice that. He, man, it's like, you know, he, he's there and he wants to, to pray for him and to meet with him and to be with him. You know, as disciples who are constantly making disciples, we should long to want to be with each other to build one another up in the faith. When we're separated from one another, we should feel that missing. Something's missing. We need to get together and to be there for one another. Older men teaching younger men. Older women teaching younger women. And when you have a Timothy, not only will you be committed to pray, as we mentioned, Operation Timothy. And, and the, whole, the whole name derives itself after the relationship that, that Paul had with his, his, his uh, disciple Timothy. The mentor relationship. To pray for that person to be concerned to see him, to be involved in his life. Notice this, to be get to together, to be longing an intense mo- an emotion, an aching desire. You know, later we'll see that he's imploring Timothy to make every effort to come to see him soon because he knows his time of departure is at hand. Being brought together would bring joy to him. I can't wait to see you again because when I'm with you, I just have joy. Man, concerned to see him. And the last thing is he was confident about him. Notice this, he goes back to his history. I'm mindful of the sincere faith. The word sincere means this, without wax, without hypocrisy. What he's saying to Timothy is this, I have seen the fruit and the evidence of your life. You're the real deal. You're a child of God as is determined by the word of God. You know, if you ever doubt your salvation, you ever struggle sometimes when the devil tries to tell you that, you know what, are you really a Christian? Are you really saved? Do you really think you're going to heaven? And all the doubts that we have, we need to have people around us who encourage us in our walk with the Lord, who build us up, who are confident about our relationship with them and say, don't believe the lie. Keep walking and, and keep walking the, the, the walk and keep talking the talk and keep living the faith and keep fighting the good fight. And you know what? And don't, don't stop now, but finish the course and get up and move on. We need people in our life who encourage us have you ever been around people that encourage you you smile man you love being around them you feel better when you leave their presence it's like man this is great and have you ever been around one of those blood suckers that drain all the energy from you man i'm telling you what there are people that come into my life and i just leave there and i feel like i got to go get a you know and three more pints of blood put back in me they're just like it's just a big bloody leech coming up to you you see him and you just kind of go You know, run from people like that. And so what's the point? The point of the message is this. Don't be a blood-sucking leech. (laughs) Be someone that builds people up in their faith. Timothy, think about it. Timothy loved hearing from Paul. Because Paul told him the truth, but at the same time he patted him on the back and said, you're doing a good job, keep it up. Man, I want to be like that. I want, I want people, to, when they see me coming, not run the other way. 
I want to be the kind of guy that when I'm in their presence, they feel like, man, you know what? I'm so glad we invited him or we spent time with him or we saw him. The mother of the woman that we're going to visit today, Linda and I walked into a place to eat and she told me later, she said, you were an answer to prayer. We just came back from, we just came back from our CAT scan and they said, there's nothing else that can be done. There's no other hope on this side of heaven. This is it. Your course is set. This is the way it's going to be. There's nothing left to do. We'll do the best we can to manage your pain. And we walked in to get a sandwich and she said she saw us coming and she just thanked God. Thank you, Lord, for sending them here to get this sandwich at this time. They're an answer to prayer. I needed them then. And Linda sat with them and cried with them and comforted them. And, and we began the process of following through and saying, Lord, what do you want us to do through this? I am not adequate. I am not prepared for this. I don't know how, how to handle this. But not my will be done yours. Because my will would have been to run the other way. I've told you before, I hate stuff like that. But we have hope in Christ. And as we sat and we read the word of God and the promises of God, I was so grateful to be there at a time when somebody else needed to hear the promises of God. We are to encourage one another, to build one another up. What a godly heritage. You say, hey, I know your mom, I knew your grandma, I know what kind of family you came from. I just want to tell you, your faith is real. Just keep it up. Yeah, we struggle. Yeah, we're timid. Yeah, sometimes we're ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, sometimes we fail God. But failure is an event and not a person. And when we fail, we need people to be there to pick us up and to dust us off and say, it's all right, don't stop now. I had a friend I had lunch with, and he was guilty of sexual sin in his marriage. cost him his marriage. He repented. He knew that he was wrong before God, but he paid a tremendous price. And he sat there and said, Chuck, I feel like I am disqualified from future service to God. And I said, that is a lie from the pit of hell. We are never disqualified from serving our Savior. In fact, we are saved to serve. And the last thing is this. Paul reminds, Paul's reminder to Timothy is important as a reminder to every one of us, and that is the virtue or the character trait of accountability. He says, and for this reason, I remind you. I know your background. I know your faith. I know that it's real. I know where God has brought you from. I know who you are in Christ. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh. I love this. Kindle afresh. What he's saying is, I know your background, I know your testimony, I know what God has done in your life, I know the gift that he has given you and the gifts that he has given you to use for his service. I now want to remind you to kindle afresh. And what that means is very, very simply this. In many translations, here's the phrase. Fan into flame. Stir up the gift of God. Rekindle the embers. Keep burning. My translation is, get fired up again. We all need to be reminded often, and I'm going to do that today because I believe that is what the Word of God is challenging us at this point to do, and that is this. Do you remember when you were first born again? Stop and remember when you were first born again. I don't know how long it's been, some more recent than others, but I want you to stop and remember when you were first born again, when you first came to the cross when you first recognized your sinfulness before God and you responded with faith to the finished work of Christ. I want you to remember when you were born again. I want you to remember the day all old things passed away and all things became new. I want you to remember the hunger that you had for the Word of God. You couldn't get enough. You couldn't get enough. And, I mean, you just couldn't get enough of spending time with the Lord and the Word of God. You couldn't come to church enough. You couldn't study your Bible enough. You couldn't go to the Christian bookstore enough and get every help that you can to help you grow in your faith. Man, you couldn't get enough. You couldn't wait to tell people what Jesus Christ had done in your life. You couldn't wait to call people. You couldn't wait to tell your Christian friends who had been praying for you and sharing with you that you had given your life to Christ. And many of us couldn't wait to tell our non-Christian friends and family what God had done in our life. Man, we are so excited. We are so fired up. And you know what he's saying right now? Get fired up again. Get fired up again. Kindle afresh. Stir up the embers. The fire is going out. You've lost your first love. Get fired up again. We got a purpose. God has a plan for us. 
and his plan is to use us for his glory and for his kingdom. Get fired up again. This is a man's deathbed insight and wisdom and saying this, you know what, there is nothing more important in life than to stay fired up for your Savior because you know what, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. He says, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith, and you know what, there awaits for me, they're laying up before me, there in the future is the crown of righteousness which God has for me and all those who love His appearing. Don't take your eyes off the finish line. Finish the course, run the race with endurance, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't get so caught up in the circumstances of the day that we forget where we're going. We're passing through. This isn't our place. Where our citizenship is in heaven. We're aliens, we're strangers. Don't get so hung up on this world and the things of this world. Don't wander from the truth. Don't stray from it. The love of money we learn is, is that which will take us away, wandering from the truth and the things of this world, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. All those things keep us from being fired up for God's purposes and for his glory. Timothy, he's saying to Timothy, don't let that happen to you. There's nothing more important. Everything else is temporal. Don't take your eyes off of the eternal. Use the gift that God has given you for his glory and for his services. Get busy for the Lord. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Don't stray. Don't wander. Stay focused on him. Stay focused on where we're going. Has your intensity for the Lord grown cold? Have you lost your first love? Why? I'll tell you why. I know what happens in my life. It's not because God's changed. It's not because God's left. When I lose that intensity, that, that desire to serve Him, it's because I've gone astray. I've wandered away. I've sought a new path that has nothing to do with the eternal and everything to do with the temporal. God didn't go anywhere. The same God that you trusted, the same joy and love and excitement and enthusiasm that you had when you first came to faith, He's still there saying, come on back. Get fired up again. we got a job to do. And I want to use you to get it done. Man, there's no better place to be Rediscover what is important. Jesus Christ never got sidetracked from his mission and his purpose. When the devil offered him all the kingdoms of the world, he never told him it wasn't his to give. He just said that's not why he was here. He was here to seek and to save that which was lost. He never got sidetracked. Praise God for that, or you and I would be lost today. Get fired up again. We learned that Paul had been extremely zealous for his ancestral traditions, but now he was extremely zealous for the things of God. If anyone ever tells you otherwise, or anyone ever tries to stop you from doing what God has called you to do, they are not seeking God's will, but their own. Because the will of God is clear. Fan the flame, kindle afresh, stay fired up to do the work that God has called you to do. Every one of us are gifted differently, but every one of us are gifted for the same reason and by the same Holy Spirit, and that is to serve our God and to bring glory to Him. Use the gift that is in you. Get involved in a small group. Get involved in Operation Timothy. Get involved in other ministries here at Calvary Church. Get involved in ministries outside of Calvary Church. Man, there was a whole bunch of places to get involved in ministry. But the point is this. Get involved. Do what God has placed the burden on your heart to do. Because when you are obedient to Him, then you will enjoy the abundant life that Jesus Christ said He came to give us. That we can glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Never forget our accountability to God. God sees all. You know, and this whole idea of accountability, Daniel Webster said this, what is the, he said, what is the greatest thought that can occupy a man's mind? He says it's his accountability to God. Now, I find that interesting that Daniel Webster was attributed to this quote because it's not original by any means. King Solomon said this as his deathbed insight. He said, the conclusion when all has been heard is this, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person for God will bring every act to judgment 
everything which is hidden, whether it is good or bad. How can God bring every act of judgment, even those things are hidden? Very simply, because they're not hidden to him. Everything is open and laid bare to him to whom we have to do. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Behavioral science in recent years have expounded the simple truth that, quote, behavior that is observed changes. Duh. You know, how much, what kind of a government grant did they get for this study? Behavior that's observed changes. People who are accountable by their own choice to a group of friends, therapy group, psychiatrist, pastoral counselor, study group, prayer group are people who are serious about changing their behavior and they are finding that change is possible. Studies done in factories have proven that both quality and quantity of work increase when the employees know that they're being observed. If only God knows what I'm doing, since I know he won't tell, I tend to make all things, all kinds of excuses for myself. But if I must report to another or a group of others, I begin to monitor my appearance. If someone is keeping an eye on me, my behavior improves. Get involved in an accountability group. Be open and transparent to people around you. And you know what will happen? Your behavior will, will change. Years ago when I was traveling with the Rams, I would stand on the sideline. The guys would work out getting me a pass. Now, think about this. I'm in the middle of a field. I'm down on the field. There's 65,000 people in the stands. All this activity is going on in the field. There's hundreds of people lining up on every sideline. And here I am standing there watching the game, you know, getting fired up, yelling at the guys. Ah! You know, when you're getting, just kind of going crazy. And, 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 and all this is going on. I feel somebody tap me on the shoulder. I'm like, and there's a guy standing there. I don't know who he is, but he's got like an earpiece in. And he looks at me and says, you have a, a photographer's media credential. Yes, I do. We've been observing that you haven't taken any pictures yet. <laughs> so if you want to stay on the field, start taking some pictures. I'm thinking, look at everything else that's going on here. I mean, what, I mean you're watching that I'm not taking pictures? Do you real? And it was like, and, and then I realized what was going on. Up in the press box, they got security people. All they do is watch everything else that's going on. They don't even watch the game. And they saw me the whole game, yelling, screaming at people, you know, running up and down the sidelines, you know, go for it! No, you know, and it was like, you're not taking pictures. Guess what? I started taking them after that. I'm like looking around going, what in the world? And I learned from that because now when I've got my angels media credential and I walk around, I know somebody's watching me. They get paid to do that. They're watching me. And I'm thinking how, how you know, it always, I mean, think about it. You know, if you knew the camera was on you, you're not picking your nose. You ever see that? Guys going like this, they go. Because the, the, the red dot comes on, the red light comes on in the camera. So they know when guys are sitting on the bench and they're showing somebody, it's almost like, you know, if you show a camera on somebody, they're going to scratch or pick or they're going to do something they shouldn't because it's almost like, you know, the camera causes it. But that's not true. But when they see the camera, they stop. And my whole point is this. This, take this home, man. You didn't even pay to get in. This is a good one. Take it with you. And that's very simply, and that's this. You know, behavior that is observed changes. If behavior that is observed changes, then be accountable. Do you want to finish strong? You want to keep the faith? You want to finish the course? Then be accountable. Be accountable, not just to the Lord, but those around us who will hold us accountable. Nothing could be hidden. Man, I knew guys that had, and, and I don't know if anybody here does stuff like this, but I knew guys that had, you know, they had a P.O. box, and that's where they had stuff sent that they didn't want their wife to know about. They had phone records that were at their office because they didn't have the phone bill sent home. Uh, they had their cell records somewhere else so that no one could keep track of, well, who are you calling, and what's that number, and who are these people? You know, it's like, hey, lay it all out. If somebody followed you around... Could we check on your phone records? Can we check on your bank accounts? Can we ask your co-workers? Can we talk to your spouse? Can we talk to your children? Is, is it okay if we ask them anything we wanted to ask them about your walk with Christ? If not, why not? If not, then stop it today. Confess your sin before God. Turn and get busy kindling afresh the gift that is within you for the purposes of God's glory, amen. We all need to be accountable. Humility, loyalty, dependability, and accountability. Four virtues, four character attributes exhibited in the Apostle Paul's life that led him to finish strong. Virtues that, if true of our lives, will do the same for us. Hey, have you ever had maybe some hesitancy in sharing the gospel with others? 
man, then you need to come back next week. But for now, let's pray. We've got enough stuff to deal with right now. Father, we just love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We just pray that you can keep us humble. You tell us to humble ourselves because if we don't humble ourselves, you'll humble us. And God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to do it on our own. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that you may exalt us at the proper time. Praise God for that. God, may we be loyal to those around us, those who we have had a spiritual impact in their life. May we encourage them and stay in touch with them and long to see them so that we can build them up in the faith. After all, your word tells us that we are to consider how to stimulate one another, stir each other up for love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day of your appearing drawing near. God, we just thank you for that. May we be dependable to those around us, people that can depend on us to be consistent in our walk with Christ. And God, may we be accountable. Lord, we know that we will give an answer to everything in our life to you. As Solomon said, fear God, obey his commandments because it applies to every person. And also, knowing one day that we will give an account of everything, even those things that we think are hidden, because everything is open and laid bare to him, you, to whom we have to do. God, we have to answer to you. May we walk through this life and live this life as if we saw the camera's red dot on continually so that we are motivated to live in a way that is pleasing to you. And Lord, we know if we do these things today, and then if you give us another day, we do them again and again and again and again. God, we know, like the Apostle Paul, that we too will finish strong. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.